Welcome to Southern Sisters Radio, the show for Southern women and the men who adore them. Join us as we celebrate life from a Southern point of view. Here's your host, author, founder of Southern Sisters Home, Jenny McCormick Earhart. Hey everyone and welcome to the Southern Sisters Radio program. We are so happy that you're joining us on a beautiful weekend in the fall. This is the time of year I love. Nick agrees, right? Oh yes. I was built for cold weather. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. It's nice to it's it's nice to be breaking out the jackets right? and some of the longer pants and you it know, is so wonderful. So nice. It is so fantastic. In fact, I um you know, even though I was born in the South, raised in the South, uh, I got a little bit of Swedish in me, which means that I don't necessarily I don't take kindly to the humidity and the heat for too terribly long. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you start getting the cool weather and I break yes. out the boots and Oh, anyway. Well, guys, we have a great show planned for you today. A little later in this segment, we're going to be introducing you to, well, a new friend yes. and my very special podiatrist, Stephanie Michaels. So <laughs> stay around for that. We're gonna, that's going to be coming up in just a few minutes. Um, but in the meantime, you know, I was thinking this week as we're getting into the fall and Halloween is right around the corner, right? Um, I was thinking about Halloween candy because in my neighborhood, we have six houses, right? Yeah. Most of them do not have children. So we get, right. we get all of zero trick-or-treaters in my house and we've been in the house for three years and this is the third year that I've done this and I don't know why I'm doing it although I think there might be a subconscious reason for doing so um I buy three big bags of Halloween candy right knowing there are no trick-or-treaters are coming to do the you house ever, do you ever you, do you don't have like the random minivan pull down the the no. end of the neighborhood with the doors no. open and the kit no and let me tell you they're missing out because I buy the good candy you know, yeah, I don't, see. you know, I learned that lesson the hard way. My very first thanks, uh, my very first Thanksgiving, my very first Halloween with children when I moved into my first neighborhood and first got trick-or-treaters, mm. um, I had this this wise idea that I'd do the health conscious thing and, and give uh, out little boxes of hold raisins. Oh. Raisins. Uh-oh. Yeah. No. Yeah, the car got egged uh, that year. Oh, no. The car got egged see, in the driveway. I still won't understand that. All you can do is like go up to the door, <laughs> knock, knock, trick or treat. And it's like, right. raisins? No, thanks, lady. No, no. You know, I know. That's all you got to do. You don't have to go egg or teepee somebody's yeah. house. Come on. Believe me, I did not make that Come mistake on. a second time. I also came to learn the difference between good candy and bad candy. Yes. You know what I'm saying? My daughter, uh, who lives and works in Washington, D.C., told me last year they gave out some kind of little, just, it was just, it was just bad candy. <laughs> I'm not going to say which kind it was. It just wasn't good. Like you know what I'm saying? Like kind of stuff. Yeah, not very exciting. <laughs> and so she uh, she gave it out, and she said a couple of little kids just walk up to the door and stood there and looked at her. She said, one little girl looked at her and said, this is awful candy. <laughs> just took, just called her out right there on the front porch. So she's not making that mistake again. Right. I've learned. Well, you might be asking yourselves, you know, because I know you think about this. <laughs> what are the most popular forms of Halloween candy in the country? Yeah. Have you ever thought about it? I have. I got can a little list for you. Can I take a guess? Uh, yeah. Right? Is, 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 is candy corn on that list? I don't know. Okay. I don't think so. Okay. Oh, it might I, be. I love candy well, No, hold corn. on. It is on the list, but you okay. got to ask yourself, is it on the best list or the worst list? Oh, no. Uh-huh. Uh, for me, it's on the best list. Okay. I love candy corn. Well, t- tell me if you agree with okay. this list, okay? So we're gonna, I'm going to list them uh, going from number 10 down to number one. Okay. And we're doing the worst candy. Okay. Okay. Don't ask me how they studied this, <laughs> but they did. Number 10 is Mary Jane's. Do you know what that is? Yeah, those little- Peanut butter chewy n- things. Yeah, they're- no, okay. Kids don't like those. They don't like them. <laughs> Number nine is good and plenty. No. Okay. Oh, that's kind of no. like that lic- licorice, right. but it's pink and white, Ew. right? Um, licorice is number eight. All right. Ugh. Smarties. Those right? just annoy me. 
Now, they're going to get these on Halloween. I, my kids always got Smarties <laughs> in their thing. Tootsie Rolls. Now, what's wrong with a Tootsie Roll? I don't know. I like Tootsie Rolls. You know they're low in fat? Really? Yeah, they're high That's in sugar. That's even more of an excuse. <laughs> oh, okay. uh, peanut butter kisses. What? No, 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 no. No, let me qualify. These are not Reese's peanut butter cups. These are those little chewy things that are wrapped in like orange and black oh, wrappers. Oh, yeah, no. Some are orange. No, Ugh. they don't like those. Ne- Nico or Neko wafers? Neko wafers? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. They taste like chalk. It says that. It right. Says they're smart. They're, they're kind of like Smarties, but bigger, not as sweet, and more chalky. Okay, so that's you, not appetizing no, at all. they're gross. <laughs> wax bottles. You know the little wax Coke bottles? I love those little those things. Those are kind of novelties. You pop them off and drink it and then just chew on the wax. You know what I used to do? I used to take out the stuff and then I used to like heat up the wax and like press it against my teeth. <laughs> yes. So I looked like I had deformed <laughs> teeth. I did. <laughs> oh, no, Nick. Number two huh. on the worst Halloween candy yeah. list is candy corn. Bull. No, nope. I'm so sorry. Nope. I'm so sorry. Followed by number one, circus peanuts. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing people ended out at Halloween. First of all, circus peanuts are shaped like peanuts, but don't taste like peanuts. They no. taste like bananas. So yeah, that's so that. weird. <laughs> Let's run through the favorites. Okay? okay, the top ten best Halloween candies. Okay, number ten, Hershey bars. Yes, totally agree. Like, wait, 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 wait. Like full size Hershey bars, well, or I just like know. the little bitty ones? Well, those three bags of chocolate candy that I just bought—they're uh-huh. like the little mini bars, okay, the chocolate candy. Like yeah, it. Skittles is number nine. Yep. Sour Patch Kids. Yeah, I'm not yeah. a fan. Yeah. But, Some you kids know. like those. Butterfingers. Yes. Okay. That's the best for me. How about Nerds? That's number six. Mm. Mm. Number five is M and M's. Now, chocolate or peanut butter? Peanut. Chocolate or peanut. I don't Either know. one. Right? Please. Okay. Number four is a personal favorite, Kit Kats. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's the one I buy in the checkout stand at, at Publix. And I, <laughs> and I put it, and they, they always say, do you want us to put this in the bag, grocery bag or do you want to put it in your purse? And it's I like, always say, going to put it in my what you, mouth. What, what are you saying? Like, I'm going to devour this thing on the way home? <laughs> Which, of course, I am. Um, <laughs> number three is Twix. Gotta love a good yeah, twist, like twist, right? Number two is Snickers. Mm. What do you think the number one most popular Halloween candy is? It's got to be the Reese's Peanut it's Butter Reese's. Cup. It's Reese's. Reese's yeah. Peanut Butter Cups. You gotta love it, Those right? Those are the gold mine of oh, Halloween candy. Oh, I know, right? Perfect. Well, guys, whatever kind of Halloween candy you love, you gotta be ready, because guess what? Halloween is right around the corner. Yep, the trick-or-treaters are coming. Yeah. Well, we are so glad you're here joining us on the Southern Sisters Radio Program here on AM 920. We have got a treat for you coming up. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, indeed. A very sweet friend and my podiatrist is in the office and we have got some stuff to dish about. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Southern Sisters radio program. We're so glad you're joining us and boy, I've got a treat. Yes, I do indeed. I want to introduce everybody to Dr. Stephanie Michael. She is, well, she's my podiatrist, and you're also a lot of other people's podiatrist as well. Yes, sure am. (laughs) (laughs) We are so happy that you're here to join us in the studio today. Well, thank you, Jenny, for having me. This is is really awesome. It's going to be fun. It's so much fun. You're you're rocking those headphones, i got to say. Listen, my kids would be jealous. You are, really? They will (laughs) be. You know, it is hard. I find the older I get and, and, and the sassier the kids get, it's hard to make the kids jealous. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. not particularly cool in my no, kids' no. eyes. Do you find I am that to be true? definitely not cool anymore. Here you are, an accomplished doctor, but yeah, according to your kids, you're probably just, that's mom. Mom, yeah. That's, that's mom. It. What's, that's it. What's so special? <laughs> well, I think you're special, and well, I'm, glad, you. I'm glad that you're here. Um, for those of you that don't have a podiatrist, well, I have to say, I was one of you up until a couple of months ago. 
And I've got a really good one now. Oh, thank you, Jenny. <laughs> I'm so glad you came in. And- well, I, I am too. And for a lot of us, I don't know if this is true of the patients that you see, but I think for a lot of us, and this was definitely true in my case, um, I did not seek out a podiatrist until I actually truly needed one. In, right. other, in other words, maybe I needed one long before then. I don't, you would probably say that I did. Um, but typically we end up injuring ourselves. Right. Right. Uh, maybe we go to the ER. Maybe we don't. Maybe go to an, a minor emergency clinic. And inevitably we end up getting referred to a podiatrist. And in my case, it was my my administrative assistant, uh, a dear friend, mutual friend of ours, right. a patient of yours, who said, oh, you've got to go see Stephanie. She's amazing. Oh, I'm and so I'm glad like, she did. I'm so glad is. she referred you. And I have to say, I kind of admired you even before I met you. Uh-oh. You know that the walls between your examining rooms are paper thin. Oh. <laughs> so I could hear you in the room next door with another patient. And I was like, oh, my word. Who is that woman? She is awesome. Oh, thank you. I could just tell. I could just tell. You just you have a, a zest for life. You oh, have an enthusiasm you, for yeah. your trade and for what you do. And you seem to have a real compassion for people and helping folks. Oh, so, you're so sweet. Well, thank you. Well, I'm also not a quiet person. Well, so that's probably why you could <laughs> hear me next door. But no, yes, you I, know that's what they say about me. So well, you are listen. in. You are welcome company here. Right. I right, mean, right. we are. We both. We both like to talk. Let's just put it that way. I know it's and, fun. No, it's wonderful. But um, I want to thank you for just treating me. Um, um, in my case, folks, it's probably what happens to a lot of people. Uh, I did something stupid and injured myself. I, I basically just stubbed my foot, walked around on it for two weeks, thinking, right, oh, right. it's just a stubbed toe. No big deal. It'll heal up mm-hmm. on its own, right? Right. Uh, until it didn't, right? It didn't. In other words, I was still walking around two weeks later, and the pain was still there. Right. It was time to seek a professional. That's it. And that's how I found you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just think it's wonderful what you do. Um, you are part. Tell us a little bit about Village Podiatry. Okay. About your organization. And uh, I know that one of your offices, the one that you're at, is not even five minutes from my house. Right, right. So I am in such a wonderful group. The name of our group is Village Podiatry Centers. We actually have 44 doctors. And we're in several states, Georgia, Tennessee. And we're growing. Um, we have surgical centers, a pathology lab, uh, an anesthesiologist. And the great thing about our group is we take all insurance, all insurance. And even if you don't have insurance, we're able to see you and make it affordable because we want to make sure everybody has access to the foot care that they need. Um, my office is in West Cobb in Powder Springs, right. um, off Dallas Highway in right. Lost Mountain Road. Got a beautiful office. Oh, sweet, thank you so sweet much. Sweet office staff. They're just so, so wonderful. Listen, I have the best staff. You do. Everywhere. My medical assistant, uh, Amy, is a military veteran. She served in our country's Navy. Really? She literally got off the plane from Bahrain and came to work for me. Are you kidding? And I've had the same nurse for, for 12 years. Unbelievable. So, I like you. I like y'all even better now oh, to know that. she's awesome. And Jennifer, my front office is great. Yeah. Uh, she will make sure you're taken care of A to Z, get you in immediately if you need something. And she is very compassionate and kind. So right. I'm just really blessed to be in the situation that I'm in and the group that I'm in. Right. Um, because I'm surrounded by really the best doctors. It's essential, isn't it? Don't it you is. think to a and successful we, and business? We, it is. And we support right. each other. And uh, we just we just have a lot of support yeah. in our group. And yeah. so I'm just so really, it's it's God's work. And I'm really blessed I to believe be in it. this situation. No, absolutely. It's fantastic. So. What made you? I mean, no, I have a friend actually who's got a son who is in med school now. And he's, he's headed towards podiatry himself. What made you choose that? So I went to undergraduate school at Tulane University in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a cell and molecular biology major and I was looking at all the different types of medicine, right? Medical doctor, 
doctor of osteopathic medicine, pharmacy. My father's a pharmacist. Um, and then podiatry. And my grandmother, actually, my, my mom's mother, said, Stephanie, I want you to look at podiatry. I love my podiatrist. And so I interviewed uh, at, in, for podiatry school in downtown Chicago at what was then the Dr. Scholl School of Podiatric Medicine. Right. And they just accepted me that day. And I love the school. And it was downtown Chicago. How can you beat that? <laughs> That's not a bad place to be. You know, two two blocks yeah. from Michigan Avenue, yeah. 22 years old. Hey. Yeah, you were. <laughs> so it just, everything was right. Right. And you have to listen to that sometimes. I so I went to podiatry school in Chicago, was there for four years. And then I did my residency training in Phoenix, Arizona. How about that? At the VA Medical Center uh, in Phoenix. And uh, at the it, VA Medical Center, yeah, in Phoenix, wow. Arizona. Yeah. So, and I was there for three years, and that was such a special experience. Oh my word! Taking care of the veterans out in Arizona. Yeah. So, what brought you back to the South? So, my husband's from New Jersey, uh-huh. and my family is in West Virginia and in Charlotte, North Carolina. Right. So, we needed to get back east. It's just too far from our parents, our sisters, and brothers. And so, um, we wanted to be in a big sports town. Right. We wanted to be uh, in the South where it doesn't snow very much. <laughs> or let's just put it this way. When it does, we have no idea how to handle right. it. We were, we were done. When you give somebody three years yes. in the Valley of the Sun, you're not going to go somewhere where no. it snows. No. So luckily, uh, there was a group here um, that offered me a job. Right. And uh, it just I've been here since 2005. Well, incredible. And you love so, it here, right? And I, we love it. We love it. We are Georgians through and through now. I love it, which yeah. means you are also a Southern sister. I am a Honorary. Southern Right. Well, you exactly. know, folks, we love to sort of uh, give a nod and recognize strong Southern women on the Southern Sisters radio show. We have a little segment now called Southern Sisters Supergirl. And uh, Stephanie, well, you are our honorary Supergirl. Thank for the you day. so much. Because we just I think you're cool honored. and awesome and amazing. Wow. And wow. this this isn't all, folks. We are going to be back in a few minutes, and we are going to talk with Dr. Ma- Michael about issues that face women in terms of their, well, their foot health, right? Which is an important thing. Your feet need to last a lifetime, don't Absol- they? Absolutely. And very important. I confess to maybe having abused mine a little bit, a.k.a. stilettos. <laughs> a time or two. <laughs> so hang on. We're going to talk uh, more with Stephanie Michael in just a few minutes. These boots are made for walking, and that's just what they'll do. One of these days, these boots are gonna walk all over you. And welcome back to the Southern Sisters Radio Show. You gotta say that's a perfect song. It is. It is. It is. Perfect time of year, too. Perfect time of year. I do love my boots. It's kind of a joke at my house. I have a little section of the closet devoted entirely Hey, to that's boots. okay. That's you know? okay. Well, I, I suppose there are good boots and there bad boots. There are good boots, right? Yeah. Like any, like anything else. Exactly. Any other kind of shoe. You know, I, I'm so curious, Stephanie, because you've been in this for a while. You treat. Um, well, tell us a little bit about the women you treat. Do you, do you treat as many men as you do women, or is it weighted one way or the other? Hey, that's a great question. You know what? We see between sixty to sixty-five percent of our patients are women, actually. Right. And so um, we get a lot of questions about shoe gear, foot care. Those types of things in the office. Right. So what are what are some of the more common complaints that you deal with? What what most often brings women, particularly, uh, into your office? Absolutely. So, you know, we see a lot of uh, heel pain. That's the number one complaint in podiatry. Right. Um, we also see a lot of female patients with, you know, foot deformities, like bunions and hammer toes and flat feet. And those are just deformities in the toes and in the big toe that can be painful. 
or it can make them have them give them difficulty in finding good shoes that accommodate and fit their foot type. Right. Do you find that most of those are caused by poor shoes, or is is some of it genetics, or right? Would this have happened anyway? Right. It's a it's a combination of genetics Mm -hmm. and then environment. Okay, so a lot of times you can't fight the DNA. It's there. Mother, father, grandmother, grandfather have a bunion or hammer toes or flat feet. There's a very good chance you may develop that. It can be exasperated or made worse by the type of shoes that they're wearing. Okay, so your opinion on heels. I mean, let's just cut to the chase. Cut to the chase. This is important here because I got I got a closet full of I tell you, I'm wearing them less and less and less. Right. And I don't know if that's my age. They're becoming less and less comfortable. Right. Tell tell me your opinion. Okay. So we don't, we, you can wear a heel. It's fine. It needs to be a comfortable shoe. Something that's wide in the forefoot. That's not pinching your toes. Something that isn't too high where you could twist your ankle and sprain your ankle. Right. Okay. So a small heel with a good thick leather sole that's got a wider toe box is perfectly fine. Really? Absolutely. Okay. We don't say no heels. Wedges are also okay. Yeah. I, well, I do love the wedge. We I will do say, like wedges. As I get older, I, just that little extra support under my foot exactly. uh, is, is crucial. You just want to use common sense, I guess, right. when purchasing a shoe. But look for something that's wide with a good, comfortable, you know, support and a thick sole. Right. And that's perfect. Now, if you're going to do any prolonged walking, standing, that's obviously when you want to look to put a sneaker on. Right. Or something that's going to give you some more support. Interesting. I I understand. So when, let's say you have a... Uh, a woman is experiencing some foot pain of any kind, when when does she know it's time to be seen by a professional? Because I know that in my case, I walked around for two weeks, right. which was probably stu- a stupid thing to do. But I know that a lot of women, I have some girlfriends who have had little pain issues in their feet for years, and they've not been in to see right. a podiatrist. Right. You know, you're, it's if you have some discomfort, um, you know, it's you're never wrong to come in right away. Right. We always want to have a baseline, too. So let's say, oh, gosh, you're not sure. My my second toe looks a little strange. Yeah. What is that? <laughs> That's and it, and it might, strange second right, toe. Strange second toe. Yes. And it might be rubbing on the shoe. And mm. you're not really sure what to do. Call call one of us. Come wow. see a podiatrist. Let us take some x-rays and give you some education. Right. You may need, never need to come back. Or you may come back in six months, but it's always good to come in, have a foot exam, get educated right? so that we can prevent you from having a problem down the road. I see. And not every condition is necessarily has to be corrected with surgery. Absolutely. You're right? totally there are, correct. There are non-surgical options oh, for some pain relief as well. Absolutely. Right. And we really try to avoid surgery if possible. Right. And that's why we want to have early intervention, early exam, counsel the patient on things they can do at home. Right. Because our goal is to prevent you from needing an operation. Absolutely. Okay. Do, you, do you know what I've been hearing more and more about? Uh, family members, My my uh, a, a very good dear friend of mine has had an issue. My mother had an issue. Planners fasci- fasciitis? Absolutely. Uh, okay, so can, tell us a little bit, because I'm just hearing so much about it. I know so many people that suffer from it. Um, what do you tell us a little bit about what you see and, and how we how folks can kind of treat that? Oh, I, listen, plantar fasciitis is the number one complaint in podiatry. Really? It's that common. Wow. So what plantar fasciitis is, is heel pain. And it's heel pain on the bottom of your heel. Right. And what most patients will tell us is the minute they, their feet hit the bed, hit the floor in the morning, right. they have pain in the heel. Or after they walk a lot, then they sit down and they try to get up to walk again, there's pain in the bottom of the heel. And it's inflammation from the plantar fascia, which is a ligament, 
Ligaments attach bones to other bones. Right. It's pain at the origination of that ligament from the bottom of the heel. Uh Okay. So what do we do about it? Well, we talk to the patient about calf stretching and cold water soaks or ice application. Yes. Anti-inflammatories such as, you know, ibuprofen or or, uh, naproxen, if there's no contraindications to those medicines. Right. Then there's things we can do. Cortisone injections, which they sa- sounds worse than it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, of course, it, I've it, never had one. It, so injection it's, is it's, never a good word. It's easy for me to say. You know, <laughs> right. um, uh, there's different types of uh, splints that we have the patient wear to right. help them stretch. Then there's orthotics or inserts for the shoe, right. and changing the shoe to get into a really good supportive shoe. Right. Okay. Ninety five percent of my patients. Never require surgery for heel pain. That's a good. That's a okay. good statistic. Which is a good thing. Yes. Because we, like I said, we want to try to avoid surgery if we can. Right. Uh, we want to get the patient better, get them back on their feet, so they can exercise and maintain a good quality of life. Wow, this is fascinating. You know, um, also I hear a lot about bunions. Another common, right. I think, Very issue common. with which I, I believe I had a friend that treated it with surgery and one that did not. Right. Exactly. And both seem to be. Doing fine. Right. Yeah. So so the, the go-to option is not always surgery. It's not always surgery. It's mm-hmm. prevention and accommodation of the deformity. Right. Now, sometimes if it is so large or severe that you can't get into a shoe or mm-hmm. it prevents you from going with your friends to dinner or trying to exercise, right. that's, that's when we want to talk about surgery. Mm-hmm. And surgery is a good option for many patients. Right. But we always want to exhaust the conservative care first. I, I absolutely agree. Tell us a little bit more about how folks that might be listening, we got a lot of Southern sisters out there. Right. You know, 50% of our listenership are men as well. So we're not just talking to the, to the women here. Um, what is a good way for them to reach out to Village Podiatry? Depending on, I guess it depends on where they live. Absolutely. In the city, right? Uh-huh. Yep. So again, we have 44 doctors in our group. So we're spread out all over Georgia and even into Tennessee. Our website is VP Centers. <laughs> Total blankout. Almost there. Villagepodiatrycenters.com. Village Podiatrycenters.com. Or VPCenters.com. Or VPCenters.com. They can find you online. Absolutely. Find us online. We have a Facebook page. Um, we have a big centralized scheduling that can wow. help you. And we take all insurances, even, again, even in, with patients without insurance. We have programs to help because we really want to make sure that Everybody in this area has access to foot care. To, to good foot care. Absolutely. And, you know, that, and I'm so glad that you mentioned that because it's, it's an issue for, for a lot of folks it these is. days. It, it, is. it really is. The expense of going to the doctor and good to know that you're willing to work with people. Absolutely. And that you accept all insurance. We do. That is fabulous. Well, I love what you do. Well, really, thank you. You have just made podiatry so much more fun in oh my, my eyes. Well, good. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, really. And let me tell you, she didn't hurt me at all when I oh, went in, good. folks. She treated me well, except for that I did have to wear an ortho- orthopedic shoe. You sure did. We did talk about that. We'd like we need to have a separate conversation about the uh, the style issues with an orthopedic shoe. But, I'm it, sorry. It, it's just not. It, it just ain't pretty. We we got to work on it. It ain't pretty. <laughs> As a profession, we oh, need to get it together. Stephanie is going to hang around with us for a little bit longer. We're going to be talking about well, basically how women can have it all. Working women, right? That's it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Southern Sisters Radio Program. Ooh, I do like me some Whitney Houston. Kind of do a little dance in the chair. I embarrass my kids when I do that. <laughs> I do it in the car sometimes. I've been I've been called out before. I'll be dancing in the car, and then you slowly you turn your head and you look at the car next to you, and they're just looking at you like, 
Something is wrong with you. <laughs> Something is very wrong. Did you hear about the guy that just got cited by the police for singing in his car? What? It was on the news was yesterday. It that, was he that bad? Well, apparently he was very loud. Loud. He was, oh, uh, what's that song, Everybody Dance Now? You know that song, Everybody yeah. Dance Now? So apparently he was in his car, windows rolled down, and he was dancing and singing really loud, and someone complained, and the police pulled him over and... Okay, and all right. Gave so him a ticket. Was it like midnight? Because I can get it there. No, I think but if it's mm-hmm. rush hour and I'm know. in my car, you're just looking at me because you're jealous. Exactly. You were having this much fun in traffic. Yeah. What's going on these days? Right? Everybody relax. It makes no sense to me. Anyway, I thought that was very sad because I, I sing in the car a lot. Because when I sing to an audience of zero, I'm very good. Mm-hmm. Now you just have to be on the lookout now. <laughs> I know, right? They're watching for they're the singers. They're watching for me. <laughs> well, guys, you know, we have Stephanie Michael in our uh, in our studio today with us today. She has been giving us some great tips on, well, women's foot health, which is essential. You know. Absolutely. We women tend to lax our shoes. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We have an opinion about that. But then again, we don't want to sacrifice the long-term health of our feet. Absolutely. Right? So I do think it is possible. I'm coming, I'm, I'm accepting the fact that it's possible to look good and feel good at the same time. That's so important. Billy Crystal used to say that on Saturday Night Live. Remember? He used to, well, he said the opposite. He said, it's better to look good than to feel good. Oh, Remember, no. He played that suave character. Right. I'm dating myself again here. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, interesting. It's so interesting to me because you strike me as a woman who kind of has it all. She's got a wonderful family, um, a great uh, professional life, a great business, a uh, 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 respected doctor. Well, um, thank you. Real Simple Magazine um, did an article recently on the, the 10 secrets of an unflappable working mother, right? And I thought it was so interesting. I thought, you know, I would love to get your perspective on some of this because you and I uh, are kind of arrived at, at both in our professional lives, but we may have come there different directions. I was a stay-at-home mom for almost 18 years. Mm-hmm. You have been in the working working uh, world most of the time after raising children. Right. And um, and it's so interesting because, um, you know, I always say the hardest critics of women are other women. Oh, that's so true. Do, do you find that to be Absolutely. true? Absolutely. We can be nasty, nasty to each other. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the greatest things I learned kind of in, in the course of raising my children and training them up is that, um, you know, there are different different paths for every person. You know, mm-hmm. how one woman chooses to raise her children, uh, it may be different than another one. And we don't judge each other. We don't do it. You know That's what I'm right. saying? That's right. Uh, looking back now, I will tell you the one thing that I do wish I had done differently because it then presented more challenges for me later on in life was I probably should have kept one foot in the workforce in some manner. Right. A, a, a toe, a pinky, something <laughs> in there. So I didn't come out 15, 16, 18 years later right. not knowing what I was going to do. Right. Um, so I am one of those women that kind of reinvented herself midlife right. Right, and just crafted a whole new profession for myself. Right. It's done well, but I don't know that um, it's not for everybody. It doesn't work that way for everybody. It doesn't, right. So to kind of keep yourself uh, tuned into what's going on in the world, I think is a great thing. Now, I will say this. Um, this is this is uh, Real Simple Magazine said that um, you know that being a working mother, it's hard. Being a stay at home mother is hard. It's all hard, right? <laughs> but there are uh, they interviewed uh, a number of different working moms and kind of looked for some tips and suggestions that they could give on how they made it all work right. and how they made it all come together. Uh, and we're kind of going to count through what they call ten secrets mm-hmm. of the unflappable working mother. Uh, number one is one of their suggestions is do work at home. Do home at work. So you need to accomplish a certain number of things during a 24-hour period. Where you complete those tasks is beside the point. You just need to check them off the list in the order in order to free up time, right, for the things that you want to do. So, right, you know, for me, like a pedicure might be a luxury thing, right, to do with my time or reading, right? So go ahead. Pay your bills at the office during your lunch hour. 
check your work email at home while you're waiting for the kids to show up at dinner. I, you know, I also often wonder if it is the best thing to do is to completely separate everything. Right. To where they never overlap. Oh, yeah. Rather than allowing your 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 work and your home life to be a little bit more fluid. Do you, Absolutely. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, and you have to use your time. Right. You know, like you said. Um but it's it, right. It, or if they're taking a shower, check your email. Exactly. You know, it's just utilizing that time. Right. Efficiently. Exactly. And we're not saying pull out the laptop at the dinner table oh, and no. start working. No, we're not talking about that at all. Uh, any more than we're talking about, you know, bringing the kids to the office and, you know, having pl- having playtime at the office. That's not what we're talking about. I think it's more about just having your day be fluid and not broken up into such distinct parts. Absolutely. Do you see what I'm saying? Another suggestion was to juggle strategically. Okay, so you try to accomplish A, B and C simultaneously, but don't do it all by yourself. Instead, get A to accomplish B so you can take credit for C. (laughs) For instance, here's this one woman said, I like to sit at the kitchen table and work on a laptop next to a child of mine doing algebra. You see what she's saying? Oh, yeah. While A does worksheets and I write my newspaper column, she is being mothered by me. Also, I can change gears fast to Google the quadratic equation if I need to. You see what I'm saying? It all all kind of merges together. So in that case, uh, the child aces her math test, I meet my deadline, and you've knocked off two points, two things off of your list. There you go. And that's just efficient, you know, time. Right. I also will do work after they go to bed. Yeah. So my kids usually go to bed around 8.30. Right. So if I need 30 minutes to remote in to check orders right. or check on a patient at the hospital, I do it after they go to bed. Makes sense. If I need to speak to a, one of my partners about a patient, right. I make sure I'm honed in with my kids right. while they're home. Because, look, it's an hour and a half to two hours. It's not a lot of time. Exactly. In the evenings. Right. But they go to bed at about 8.30. And then, you know, I have 30 minutes to an hour and a half to do whatever needs to be done. Exactly. Yeah. So you're basically crafting the schedule that works for you. Absolutely. Cra- crafting that together. Uh, another suggestion is to ignore, I like this one, ignore the latest parental fear mongering literature. Okay. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So this is important. What you want to do is you want to stick to. There's a lot of books out there, a lot of magazine articles, and everybody thinks they have the right answer. Um, you know, I one suggestion, one one great book that I enjoyed reading was Shirley Jackson's Raising Demons. Okay. Oh. <laughs> it will help you decide whether it's more fulfilling to spend the weekend doing houseworks or housework or playing cards with the neighbors. Right. All right. So basically, a hint here would be uh, think mix nuts and drinks over a few rounds of bridge. Don't forsake the gathering of your friends together. You know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah, no, yeah. Sometimes that has to be put over cleaning the house. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. I, you know, absolutely. Getting out the door in the morning without anyone in tears is the only thing you really have to achieve before 830 a.m. in the morning. Oh, oh my gosh. Especially when your husband, as yes. mine does, drives the kids to work every day. Oh, which, wow. you know. Yeah. Set is because he my uh, my husband teaches sixth grade yes at Mount Perrin Christian School right and he drives the kids to school every morning okay so it's extra important that yes. they are not crying no when no. they get in the car with oh Dad. I thought you were talking about your husband not crying when yeah him too. <laughs> him too if he can make it to the car with no tears we're in good shape so right you know another suggestion is to keep your secret weapons handy now this can vary from woman to woman. Um, this particular author said that her one of her secret weapons, she's always needing copy paper. Someone always needs copy paper. She keeps a ream of copy paper in her underwear drawer. Oh, my gosh. You, know, you have to get creative. You never know when you're going to need something. I find that little things that I need that I keep in the car, like in those little consoles. Yeah, yeah. You know, hand wipes, hand sanitizer, hand sanitizers. Equip yourself with what you need to get through the day without killing someone. Oh, yes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, they also suggest going with your gut. Once you've decided, this is what I'm going to do. This is what our family's going to look like. This is how I'm going to proceed. Stick to it. Don't feel guilty. Move forward. 
Oh, absolutely. Right? And don't be swayed. This used to happen to me a little bit. I would I would come up with a conviction like, yeah, this is what's going to be good for the kids. We're going to do it this way. And then I was, there was a period of time in my life where I would second guess myself and be very easily swayed by what other people were telling me. Right. You can get 10 different opinions talking to 10 different people. You have to do what's best for you and what works for your family. Yes. And honestly, for me, it's if there may be a few dishes in my sink right now, that is okay. That's okay. The clothes are not necessarily put away, but they're clean. Right. That is also okay. Yes. Because when I get old, are my kids going to look back and say, man, my mom had the cleanest house or my clothes were always folded and put away? Or are they going to look at me and say, mom... You gave me the best memories. Yeah. And that, to me, is what's the most. But listen, I'll be honest. It took me, you know, maybe a little therapy to get there. Yeah. And I'm totally public about that. <laughs> but that's where we are now. My kids right. are 10 and 6 now. Yeah. And that's so important. It is essential. It, and that kind of leads into our last point here, which is don't obsess over things no one will remember in oh, five, yes. in five oh, years. Let it go. Right? So, right. Let's just put it this way. Come 2000, what would, what would five years from now be? 2022? Uh, yeah. Dang, can't believe that's right around the corner, right? But come 2022, no one, not even you, will still be angry that the PTA insisted on scheduling meetings during the workday, right? Or that your child was the last holdout against potty training at preschool. Who is going to care in five years, right? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. And, you know, this is so essential. You have to just sometimes say to yourself, get a cup of coffee. Sit down and relax. Take a deep breath. Everything will be fine. You know? It will be fine. Absolutely. It is. I think we, like I said, we criticize each other more than anybody else. I think we are also the hardest judges of ourselves. Right, right. You know, we always think, and it's a lie, folks. It's a lie that everybody else is doing it better than us. Right? Right. You're doing the, just do the best you can. Do the best. And try to look at yourself through your children's eyes. Right. Because that's how you should see yourself. I completely agree. And, you know, and, and another suggestion here is to, rather than looking at yourself uh, in distinct different roles. Here I'm a doctor, here I'm a mother. Here I'm... Look at yourself more as the whole person. Right. These are all aspects of Stephanie all rolled together. Right. All exactly. aspects of Jenny all rolled together rather than segmenting them out. Right. Right. Exactly. This is awesome. You're good at this. This is so much fun. <laughs> what do we well, do to get? <laughs> there you have it. The unflappable working mother. Oh. <laughs> We're so glad you're here. You are listening to the Southern Sisters radio program on AM 920. We're going to be right back in just a few minutes. Oh, we have a wonderful, spooky Southern narrative this week. We'll be right back. Southern Sisters Radio Show. Now, with your Southern narrative, sharing stories from around the South, here is your host, Jenny McCormick Earhart. The Small Town Library Ghost by Tim Westover. The new library on Rosebud Street in Grayson, Georgia, couldn't be open to the public without its own ghost. In the 90s, the city council built several libraries around town that didn't have ghosts, following the general tide of the times away from the old superstitions. Those libraries were filled with rainbow colors, comfy chairs, little stuffed animals, smiling faces, all to attract visitors, as if a library was a cafe or a coffee shop. But the city council later regretted its errors. The visitors to those libraries complained that something important was missing the cold finger that draws itself along one's neck when one steps into the stacks, the mist of silence that veils the periodicals. Such feelings turn a book-filled room into a real library, 
At great expense, the city council rid itself of the rainbow collars and comfy chairs and tried to install in their place appropriate ghosts. But the atmosphere was never quite right. The shadows that should have played in the dark corners weren't dark enough, and the footsteps that should have paced the empty corridors could hardly be heard. Hoping to avoid another catastrophe, the city council hired me. I had been among the most vocal of the concerned citizens when the ghosts were omitted from the earlier libraries, and I knew the ghosts of our town better than anyone. Only I could interview the various candidates and choose the most fitting for the new library on Rosebud Street. It was not only a matter of equipment, which I possessed, the tape recorders, magnetometers, and time-lapse cameras, but a matter of acclimation and expertise. I could keep my wits and therefore approach the task with the necessary dispassion. For my search for the Rosebud Library Ghost, I set up a little office next to the historic courthouse and sent announcements along the usual spiritual channels. Applicants were requested to arrive during twilight hours for interviews. I was a little too old to make it to the witching hour, straight midnight, without falling asleep. The first to visit was the ghost of Edward Owens, who lives in the abandoned train station in the valley. Edward was 10 years old in 1885 when he put a fat metal screw on the railroad tracks. He wanted the train to flatten it. It would be a novelty. He'd seen others put out pennies on the tracks, but Edward did not have a penny to spare. The five o'clock express to Atlanta rushed past, and the fat screw became snarled in the wheelworks. Sparks jumped forth and brakes engaged, but the momentum of the rear cars was too great. The train crumpled against itself and the cars jumped the tracks. Six passengers and three cows died. A grain storehouse and two water towers were destroyed. The rail line was closed for 10 days, postponing the delivery of tobacco, gravy, and beer that were the lifeblood of the local community. For all this death and delay, and because Edward could never hope to repay what was lost, he was hanged outside of the train station. The gallows were normally built outside the courthouse, but this was a special occasion. As is customary, it was not the accidentally killed passengers that had their spirits imprinted in the land where the rustled smears of tracks are still visible. Instead, it was the little boy, suffering his own catastrophe of sudden guilt and untimely violence, whose spirit remained. I decided that Edward Owens was not a good candidate for a library ghost. The simple fact was he couldn't read, and that seemed to be a poor thematic and moral lesson. The next interviewee was Molly Maltby, whose husband was a famous drinker in the Eagle Tavern on Pike Street. The tavern opened in 1911 against the objections of the local temperance committee. The local workers and farmers made it a great success. Every night, Maltby spent his strength, time, and money in the Eagle, consuming legendary quantities of beer and of a homebrew that was also renowned for its efficacy in removing paint. When the Eagle Tavern, later transformed into the Eagle Pool Hall, was renovated to become the Hail Mary Sports Bar, the new owners stripped away 70s-era vinyl and found hash marks on the original woodwork that seemed to recount a particular liquor contest from almost 100 years before. One storm-wracked night when Maltby was at the tavern, his wife could not lo no longer be restrained. She made her famed march on the eagle, carrying a hook and a broom. She opened the tavern doors with her boot. Lightning illuminated the wrath on her face. With this broom, I'll give these, this place such a cleaning, she cried, breaking every bottle and glass, upending tables, splintering the great mirror above the bar, shredding the indecent pictures, and defending herself against the counterattacks of the clientele. In truth, after her assault, the tavern was much less clean by the traditional use of the word. She placed her hook beneath the collar of her husband's shirt and dragged him into the street through mud puddles and thorn bushes until they reached their beloved and peaceful home. 
On stormy nights, one can still see her white form making the march up Pike Street. And from the Hail Mary, there will be incidents where waitresses accidentally upend pint glasses of light beer. But after a long conversation with Molly, I decided that she too was not the right candidate for the library. She died as an old woman and was not very attractive. A round, plump woman with a mustache and big ears. That sort of ghost would not be approved by the public, who would want someone more beautiful. Her spirit-forming event, too, was a loud and raucous one, which would be unbecoming in a library atmosphere. And finally, I will admit, on a personal basis, the ghost tours that I led, commencing in September and running three times weekly until the first week in November, would be much less rich without the story of Molly McMaltby. I needed her at a current station. She was a necessary, punchy, upbeat figure in a litany of ghosts that would otherwise be too maudlin. But when almost every hope for a suitable candidate was lost, Amelia Bloom arrived in my office. Her blue eyes, perpetually half-filled with tears, blinked below her wide-brimmed hat. Amelia was born and raised in a large white house set back away from the main street of our town, and her family was well-respected. Her pleasant face ornamented Fourth of July parades and she sang sweetly and harmoniously in the choir. Every young man in town wanted to be her beau and there was more mourning than celebrating when she announced her engagement to Jack Thompson, a handsome and clever cavalry officer. Their days were happy and bright, but alas, too short. Heartrending was the hour that he was called up to the great campaigns of the Civil Wars. From the moment of his departure, Amelia stood sentry at the window of her family's house. But after two years, three years, her young face was lined with hopelessness. Passerbys saw her at the window and thought her a ghost, though she was not yet dead. After her passing, her demeanor and appearance changed a little, except that she was somewhat more flighty and transparent. I was surprised that she was willing to surrender her watch and take up a place at the library. But even ghosts, I suppose, can get bored. A more ideal candidate for the job I could not hope to find. Amelia was young and beautiful and therefore certain to be more popular and inspirational than the ghost of an old woman. She was intelligent and literate, but not a dusty professor that would sink into the books and forget that her chief role was to interact with the visitors. She died in a quiet but pure and pitiable way of heartbreak. She was not a crazy or savage ghost who would freeze the blood of steely-nerved adults, but she would give to the library the essential and delicately perceptible aura of something strange. The city council immediately approved my recommendation and on the day before the ribbon cutting for the Rosebud Street Library, I introduced her to her new home. The books stood in neat rows like soldiers in a file. Amelia comments on this in a sad voice. I suggested that she should shuffle the books a little, put them in slight disorder. It would be best if she rearranged them, but only subtly. Put volume H after F and M after T, so that her presence should be eerie and not overt. She should leave books open to random pages. Visitors would find for themselves some significance in the revealed text and credit Amelia with clairvoyance. On stormy days, it would be her job to flicker the lights haphazardly. If a piece of paper were left on a table, she should decorate it with curious symbols and invented words. It was unimportant if these words had any sense behind them. Amelia nodded her understanding. Happily, she didn't ask why a ghost was required to do these things because I didn't have a ready response. It was the behavior demanded by visitors. It fit with the ghosts of film and literature and campfire stories. 
It is odd, I think, that they expect such conduct from ghosts because in my experience, ghosts are neither random or capricious. They stalk the same places for centuries and remain fixed on the same obsessions. There are some so regular that one can set his watch to their moans and wails. In front of a crowd on Rosebud Street, the city council cut the red ribbon and turned the golden key. And when the visitors entered the library, they felt a cold finger run down their necks, and they felt the mists of silence wrap their ears and hearts. The memories of those warm modern libraries were lost, and everyone recognized that the Rosebud Street Library prosper, pro properly provisioned with a gross. Blah, blah. Can we stop there? And everyone recognized that the Rosebud Street Library, properly provisioned with a ghost, was good and correct. But Amelia was even more clever than I had anticipated. For several weeks, she fulfilled her role as a library ghost splendidly. She arranged and opened the books at random. She flickered the lights. She scrawled words and symbols. But at night, when the visitors were away, Amelia read, strange conduct for a ghost. They are not much for entertainment or self-improvement. She read everything that the Rosebud Street Library offered on the Civil War. First, she read the basic histories, then the historical annals of our town, which held the records of enlisted and casualties, the lists of ghosts. After she had finished these, she left requests that the library should send away to other institutions for further documents, maps, collected letters, battle plans, lists of burials at battlefield and prison camps. The librarians obeyed. Perhaps they felt it their duty to serve a client, supernatural or otherwise. Or perhaps they didn't want to anger a ghost. Then one day, when I entered the library, no cold finger ran along my neck, and sneezes and snoring and whispers dispelled the mist of silence. Amelia had left behind a letter addressed to me. In her refined antebellum hand, she wrote, I've gone to Jack. He's waiting on his tombstone in Virginia. I won't let him wait at the window for all his life after death. What could I do? Sometimes, ghosts are not like books whose stories are fixed to the page. And welcome back to the Southern Sisters Radio Program. I just thank you so much for spending time with us this week. And thank you, Stephanie Michael, for spending the time with us, teaching oh us about, well, foot health. This was so much fun. You did great. And it was awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> cool. Remember, guys, for those of you that are interested in checking out Village Podiatry, go to Village Podiatry Centers, Perfect. plural, with yeah. us. Dot com, yes, right? ma'am, you bet. Guys, have a great weekend. We'll see you next week.